In her 20s, Kay Arthur had been to church, but she never trusted Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of her life. Her husband at the time was a manic depressive, and, and she got to the point where she felt like, man, I just can't, I can't take this anymore. She ended up leaving and, and getting a divorce. Shortly after that, she engaged in an affair with a, a married man, and her ex-husband found out, and it was, it was so much for him to take in. And one day he said to Kay, if, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I, I, should just, I should just end it all. And Kay Arthur was so jaded, so crass at the time, she looked at him and said, why don't you do it? Because I could use the money. Her husband took that action, and Kay Arthur was shattered. She didn't know what to do, didn't know where to turn. She loaded her kids into the car, and one day she shouted out to God, to hell with you, God. We'll come back to that story in just a moment. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've thought that that same thing, or maybe you haven't said those words exactly, but maybe you've asked this question, is there any hope? Well, this is a season that has caused many of us to pause and causes us to, to reflect and kind of reevaluate some things in our life. Some are reevaluating what's life really like after this life. Some are reevaluating some very deep things, like what's the meaning of life? What are my values in life? What, what are the things that really matter in this life? Others are evaluating some things like, why do I eat every time I go past the kitchen while in shelter in place? Some are evaluating, how do I dye my hair in the midst of this season when I can't go to the salon? Others are, are evaluating, why did it take me so long to get on TikTok so I can learn all these sweet dance moves? Other people are evaluating, like, why did I waste my life watching Tiger King on Netflix? But whatever you're evaluating, I want to say welcome to Central. I want to say thanks for joining us online. We are currently one church that is meeting in many rooms all across this Bay Area and, and actually all across the country and even on the other side of the globe. So no matter where you are, I want to say welcome to Central. This season has been interesting for my family and I. We I typically make it my goal to eat, eat dinner with my family at least three nights a week. Well, that, that's increased uh, considerably in this season. And, and so one day we were sitting down for dinner as a family and, and we've been trying to ask each other creative questions because we, we see each other frequently. And uh, my son, Cannon, he's nine years old. He came up with this question. He said, Dad, what was your favorite dessert when you were my age? Dad, what was your favorite dessert when you were nine years old? And that one question sent me back to my childhood. I could smell the, the fresh cut grass. I could still see, see playing kickball in the backyard. And I could still feel that shot of adrenaline when I heard that ice cream truck pulling down the street. And I would run up to that ice cream truck and I'd get, I'd get a bonbon every time. I can still remember being at my grandma's house. Uh, and, and I don't know if you've had this where you, where you grew up, but, but at my grandma's house, there was this, this company called Schwann's. And whenever the Schwann's truck would pull into my grandma's driveway, I knew it was game on because the Schwann's had like this catalog full of delicious things that you could order. And I was at grandma's house. So that meant I wasn't going to just get one ice cream. I was about to get a whole case of ice cream. And as I recall and reflected back on my childhood, I told Cannon, man, my favorite dessert when I was nine years old was ice cream. And as he was processing this, he looked at me and said, Dad, they had ice cream when you were nine? I was like, 
Yes, son. They had ice cream all the way back in the 80s and 90s. Yes, they did. And he's like, as we start talking, he's still processing this. And he's like, was it like two cents? And I'm like, no, son. Yes, we had ice cream. Yes, it costs more than two cents. Yes, I can still beat you in arm wrestling. Yes, I can still beat you at basketball. Any other challenge you want to throw at your old man, I'm game. Because you might be nine. I might not be as good as I once was, but I'm still good enough to beat you, partners. Let's go. Just had to remind him of some things. But it's fun to reminisce. It's fun to reflect. It's necessary to reevaluate. It's pivotal to remember. And actually, that's my primary objective today, to bring us all to this place of remembrance. My primary objective, I don't think I've ever preached a one-point message, but I got one point for you today, one primary objective, one thing, remember the cross. If you're a follower of Jesus, my goal is to help us remember that there's been a great transaction that has taken place. All your debt, all your sin, all your, all your, your junk, your baggage, your condemnation, your shame has been nailed to this cross. If you're here online just exploring the claims of Jesus, I'm so glad you've dropped in. My hope for you today would be that you would consider some things, that you would consider how much the creator of the universe loves you, how ridiculously he is in pursuing relationship with you, and what great extremes he's willing to go just to know you and have you know him. This week we pause to remember. Today actually kicks off what is known as Holy Week. Next weekend, we celebrate the resurrection, the triumph over death, hell, and the grave. But this weekend, we're going to take a look at the week leading up to Resurrection Sunday, the week leading up to Easter. The Bible teaches that the God who created all things known to mankind came to earth in the, in the form of a man. And he lived this perfect life. He was tempted in every way. He, he faced a lot of hardships, but yet he never said he lived this perfect life. But then died this brutal death. So let's return to that final week over 2,000 years ago and remember the cross. Well, as we reach back through the curtain of time to the week leading up to the cross, we find Jesus entering Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover festival. It was on Sunday. This Sunday, that his disciples entered Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago in what would become known as Palm Sunday. Jesus rode on a donkey, hero of peasants and the working class of people. They praised him as they laid their, their coats and they, they shouted this phrase. And we read it in Mark 11, 9. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that word, that, that term Hosanna, was a Hebrew prayer meaning save us. These people are shouting, save us, save us, Hosanna, as they entered Jerusalem at the beginning of the week of Passover. And Passover was the most important holiday, the most important celebration in the Jewish calendar year. On Monday before the cross, Jesus cleared out the money changers at the temple and, and conflict begins to rise with the religious leaders. Monday is often known and referred to as the day of, of judgment. On Tuesday, it was a day of conflict. 
Jesus finds himself increasingly at odds with the religious leaders. He is questioned about what authority he acts with. He sits with his disciples and he teaches them about, about the end times and signs that would accompany it. On Tuesday, the religious leaders plot to take Jesus' life and one of his closest friends, one of his inner circle, Judas, agrees to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. On Wednesday, a lot of historians, a lot of scholars say we, we don't have any recorded activity on this day. It's, it's known as a day of silence. Thursday is referred to as the day of preparation. This is where Jesus meets with his disciples in a borrowed upper room as they, they celebrate what would become known as the Last Supper. Shortly thereafter, Jesus is betrayed to his death by one of his closest friends. Thursday night, Jesus enters into a trial that is a mockery of justice. It was Jewish law at this time that you could not hold trial at night, but to execute Jesus before the religious celebration, they disregard justice in order to fulfill their own agenda. He is hit, he is beaten, he is mocked, and then on Friday morning, as the sun begins to rise, Jesus is bound and brought towards to Pilate, this Roman, Roman governor. The Romans were the only ones who could issue the death penalty at this time. This Friday is what would become known as Good Friday. But I think we'll agree that this was not a very good Friday for Jesus. Mark lays out the events of what took place on this day in a very, very concise manner. So I'd like to, to read from Mark chapter 15 how these events unfold. The events that, that, that I just described have already taken place at this point. Now it's Friday, and Mark 15, beginning in verse 1, reads this. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, they met to discuss next steps. They bound Jesus and they led him away to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What are these charges that they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like for me to release to you this, this king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested him out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest had stirred up the crowd so much, they, they demanded the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man that, that, that you call the king of the Jews? And that's a good question. What should you do with this man they call Jesus? What should you do with this man they call the king of the Jews? Well, this crowd, they made up their minds and they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip 
and then turned him over to the Roman soldier to be crucified. So at this point, Pilate finds no fault in Jesus and has him severely whipped. The, the Bible calls it flogged with a, with a lead-tipped whip. Uh, this whip would not be, don't think like Indiana Jones type whip. Uh, the Romans had this weapon that, that, that they would use for floggings and historians tell us that it's, it's, it's known as the cat of nine tails. It would have had a, a wooden handle with, with nine leather straps coming out of, of this handle and, and they would tie sharp objects like lead, like, like pottery or, or, or rocks into these, these straps of leather and these Roman soldiers would be trained how to use this, this weapon, this whip for flogging. And, and victims who received flogging, they would often have their hands tied and, and hung on a post in the middle of two soldiers, one on each side. And, and they would stretch out the flesh of the back. And then one after another, these soldiers would, would whip the victim. And those sharp objects, the lead, the rock would, would dig into the flesh and they would rake it across the victim's back. Floggings often exposed bone and internal Organs, historians tell us floggings took the life of a victim six out of ten times. If the victim survived, they were often carried out on a stretcher. I think this speaks to Jesus' strength and his stamina. Thunderous silence must have swept over heaven as angels watch the king of all creation come to earth, try to help humanity only to be treated in this way, only to be subject to this kind of, of torture and humiliation. Why? Let's pick it back up in Mark 15, beginning in verse 16. The soldiers, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium. They called out the whole regiment. They, they dressed him in a purple robe and they, they wove thorn branches into a crown and they, they put it on his head. They saluted him and they taunted him. Hail, king of the Jews. They struck him on the head with a reed stick and they spit on him. They dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe. They put on his own clothes. They put his own clothes on him again, and they, they led him away to be crucified. By the time Jesus walks to Calvary, he's probably in pre-state shock due to the extreme pain and, and enormous blood loss at this point. They place a 75-pound to a 100-pound crossbeam on his back that would ultimately be the instrument of his execution. As they parade him through the streets of Jerusalem as pilgrims from all over the area and surrounding countries have piled in to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover meal, they, they, they see this king of the Jews, they see Jesus in this state, passing by. Mark simply states in Mark 15, 24, and they crucified him. Mark's gospel doesn't give us, doesn't tell us anything about, about how he was crucified, but that one word in that era would paint a picture of such horror, crucified. Jesus suffered so intensely and his, his followers sympathized so deeply that they could only bring themselves to talk about it in the briefest sense. And they crucified him. Today, the cross has become a Christian symbol of hope, a, a symbol of faith. 
The early Christians had, had symbols too, but, but the cross was certainly not one of them. The early church, they would, they would draw pictures of, of Noah's Ark depicting the church escaping destruction around them. They would draw a picture of the dove reminding themselves that, that the Holy Spirit is with them as we see in, in, in Acts. Jesus is shown as the good shepherd tending to his feet. There are early, early pictures of Jesus with his disciples at the, the Last Supper, but, but nowhere do we see a symbol of the cross in the early church. The first cross in a church setting appears carved on the, the church doors of Santa Sabina in the 5th century. That's over 100 years after crucifixion had been made illegal. But a full 400 years were required to forget the horror and to use it as a symbol of faith and hope. They crucified him. At Calvary, a vertical post would have been permanently set. The victim would be laid on his back and his, his wrist would be nailed to the crossbeam. Traditional art depicts the nails going through the palms, but archaeologists and scientists have evidence that it points to going through the, the wrist. Uh, the palm would not support the weight of a victim. And uh, the early biblical writers would have recognized the wrist as, as a part, a larger part of, of the hand. As the spikes are driven through the wrist, it would damage the median nerve, sending unbelievable jolts of pain throughout the body. Spikes would be driven through the hands and the feet, increasing the intense torture. The only way for a victim to, to breathe on the cross would be to put all of their weight on those nails and all their weight on those, those nails that went through their hands and their feet and to, to pull themselves up to gasp for a breath and then back down. For hours, victims would writhe on the cross until finally their strength gave out. Crucified victims died of suffocation. So after being betrayed, unjustly tried, mocked, spat upon, punched, whipped, paraded through the streets, crucified in front of his mom and closest friend, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The king of creation who left all the glory of heaven came to earth only to be treated in this way. And my question is why? And I would submit to you because your sin payment required it. I would submit to you because we are broken and flawed individuals. And in order to restore relationship with the creator of the universe, payment had to be made. He knew we needed to be rescued. It's only through Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross that we can experience his radical grace. That's why Jesus came to earth to rescue broken people like you and broken people like me. He, he came so that wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you've experienced, your story doesn't have to end there. And while his radical grace is freely given, it comes at a tremendous price. However, the climax of the story is not the cross. 
while on Friday it appeared that all hope was lost as the author of life suffered and died. However, it doesn't end there. On Sunday, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. The story doesn't end on the cross. He's alive, and because he's alive, there's hope. And to the question that we posed at the beginning of this talk, is there any hope? I would submit to you because of the cross, because of the resurrection, the answer is a resounding yes. Because of the resurrection, because of the cross, there's hope for your marriage, there's hope for your career, there's hope for your kids, there's hope for your sickness, there's hope for the future, there's hope even in death. The resurrection reminds us that he makes beauty out of ashes, that he can take what is broken and make it into a masterpiece. He's still in the miracle-working business. He takes nobodies and he makes them, them somebodies. And you might be saying, well, how do you know that to be true? And I would say because I've experienced it firsthand. My story is that he takes junkies and drug dealers and he turns them into pastors. He he takes the hopeless and he turns them into dispensers of hope. He takes those silenced by shame and sends them out with a a message so clear and so resounding and so powerful that, that sinners are set free. The cross reminds us that victory comes through surrender. And surrender can often feel like death, but but waving the white flag of surrender to God's plan and his purpose in every area of your life is truly the only way to experience freedom, truly the only way to experience the life we were created to live. But he hasn't just done it for me. He's done it for many of you watching right now. He's done it for this lady by the name of Kay Author. We started this message as Kay pulled away with her kids in the car, and she shouted to God, to hell with you, God. Kay would later say this, and I quote, what I didn't know at that time is that is exactly what God did for me. He took all the hell for me when he died on the cross and in turn said, all right, Kay, to heaven with you. Kay surrendered her life to Jesus, and rather than staying silenced in her shame, Kay's ministry now reaches around the globe. And you might say, well, how does that happen? How does someone go from from cursing God on one hand to leaving a legacy, living a life that brings hope and healing to people all over the world? And I would submit to you that that happens for two, two events that took place in history. One is the cross, and the other is the resurrection. The cross... That's where we come and we, 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 we surrender all that we are. There's a, a transaction that takes place when we put our faith, when we put our hope in that reality. 1 Peter 2, 24 says this, he himself bore our sins, made the payment in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds we have been healed. It's an ongoing process of coming back to the cross and saying, I surrender once again. I surrender this area of my life. Now I surrender this area of my life. And healing begins to take place. The second reality is a resurrection. So not only can we have this transaction, not only can our our account be reconciled, not only can our, our debt be paid, not only can we stand before the courts of heaven justified, not because of anything I've done or anything you've done, but because of everything Jesus has done. But it gets better than that as if it if that's even possible, it does. There's a resurrection. And because he's alive, the Bible says that the same spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It it lives in you. Let me just read it to you. Romans 8, 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in 
you. That's how we go from, from nothing to something. That's how we go from cursing God to having this ministry that impacts the world because the spirit of God takes up residence in us. And it does in us and through us what we can never do on our own. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Friends, we remember today that because of God, he's tracked us down with his love. Wherever you are today, remember the cross. Remember what Jesus did for you. Let it change your perspective in the present. Some of us are struggling with failure and we feel disappointed, but the cross reminds us that God's love is unconditional and, he, and he's never going to give up on us. The, the psalmist said he delights in every detail of your life. Some of us are struggling with work, with finances, with relationship. The cross reminds us that he's got your back. If he's come through before, he's going to come through again and he's with you even now. Some may feel like they're barely hanging on, but look at Jesus and realize if he can carry all that he did, then we can handle what we're currently in. He went all the way to death for us. They put him in a tomb. It seemed lost on Friday. On Friday, they saw nothing but death and dead ends. But even in the darkest moments, God had a plan. And what appeared to be nothing but death and dead ends on Friday led to resurrection on Sunday. It didn't end on the cross. He's no longer in the grave. He's alive. And because he's alive, there is hope. Next Sunday is Easter. And we're going to celebrate that reality Today, we remember. And by remembering what he did for us, let it shape how we live for him. And as we remember all he endured, may it shape our perspective in the present. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, God, that there's a great transaction that has taken place for every individual that's put their faith and their hope in you. And I thank you, God, for those just exploring that your radical grace that changed the life of Kay Arthur, that that's changed my life, that's changed the life of, of countless men and women throughout the generations, the same power, the same grace is available to everyone today. So God, I pray for those contemplating that decision that they put their faith and their hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.